you are now entering the world of a movie review. A world full of drama, joy, ridicule, movie spoilers, unpopular opinions, and adult humor for as far as the eye can see. Welcome to an evening at the movies. Greetings and salutations, Cenobites. This is an evening at the movies, everybody's favorite movie-based podcast. We discuss all of our favorite movies and, of course, why we love them. But I digress. So, we are here today to complete the 100% crossover with Literature Reapers. And I am joined, as always, because I can only be joined by one person to properly do this movie. Not that we don't love the girls, but to fully appreciate what we're here to discuss, there's only one person that can be here for that. We are joined by everybody's favorite, Chance the Rapper himself, Chance the Grive. Welcome back, Chance. What's up? What's up, bud? It's always a pleasure, man. Especially when we talk about these fucking fucked up movies that I love. <laughs> well, I mean, we've just... Discuss some friends. See, we've discussed and discuss something different. <laughs> so, You're not wrong. I'm not. So, for if there's any new listeners out there who may or may not have experienced the wonderment that is Chancy guesting on the show before. Would you like to let the listeners know a little bit about you and what exactly it is that you do in this wonderful podcasting world? Hi, I'm Chancy. I am one half of the Maniacal Music Musings podcast. We uh, <laughs> find me, myself, and uh, uh, Jeremy, my co-host, find ourselves a guest, and we all pick an album and give it a listen. Give it a review and a top five. More often than not, it's usually me having some type of meltdown over something that Jeremy brings for the week. And then, you know, I still got that sign up sheet for that support group. You know, I, I need I need all the support I can. <laughs> I I don't remember recall you having a meltdown on the episode that I was on. No, I think we I think all the I think all the ones we picked, uh, of course, that I have, I have that specific notebook with all of it written down that notebooks upstairs, but yeah, it's, uh, I think, I think we all picked pretty good albums that, that day. Well, you could, you had queen. I had Bruce Springsteen's born in the yeah. USA. Oh, no. And- yeah. The, the, the Jeremy's the one that he didn't have a meltdown like I would, but he always gives me shit about sheer heart attack because he brought innuendo on the last show. And, uh, yeah, he was talking about, you know, it ain't no sheer heart attack. It's like, fucking fuck you. Sheer heart attacks. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> My episode was a great fucking episode. And if people haven't listened to it yet, I dare them to go dig back into the analog or the, Annals of maniacal music musifications and go find that episode and listen to it. You can check the vault, but you leave my annals out of this. It was a lot of fun. 
so shit. Uh, all right. So I think how we're gonna do this is I will let everybody know for those of you who don't know what we're going to be discussing. We'll go through the basic information and then when it gets time to do Amanda's beat the clock plot description, I'll just turn it over and let Chancey basically do his thing. And oh right on. Yeah. And then we'll get into yeah. And then, we'll, and then we'll get into the discussion and see exactly where this episode is going to take us because we're going down a rabbit hole that but but it wouldn't be a chancy episode of a demon movie if it wasn't messed up. So. <laughs> you are not wrong again, sir. You are not wrong again. So with that said happy halloween horror fest 2023 to everybody we are going to be discussing the original og not number 27 in the franchise because there's a whole lot of these movies to have to watch but we're going to discuss the og hellraiser from the great clive barker yes so uh <laughs> Chancy with his voices. Uh, let's see. Hellraiser released on September 10th, 1987. Film Distributors had a $1 million budget, had a box office of $14.6 million. So, definitely a lot better, prop, bigger profit than I thought there was going to be. Um, you can find it streaming for free on Amazon Prime. So if you don't have the Prime, I highly recommend it. That way you don't have to pay to watch the movie. You may actually have some research and may know this number. But as always, I will give the co-hosts and or guests a chance to guess the Rotten Tomato Meter score for the movie. So would you like to wager a guess unless you absolutely know what the number is? Oh, I have no idea what the number is. I don't. I don't look up the Rotten Tomatoes scores on stuff. But if I was going to guess, I'd probably say like forty-seven. What did we say in the, I did not make. Oh, fucking fuck Rotten Tomatoes! You would. Way wrong. Way wrong, even, huh? Hmm. Way, way wrong. That's surprising. You were actually even way under. Hmm. I was not expecting the. I was not expecting this high of a score. I am. Was like eight, I'm curious. Eighty nine. No, not not that. That's way too high. Figure so I can undershoot. You know. You know, go from the undershoot to the overshoot. You know. So so you you got the low ball score. Now you got the high ball score. So now you get the guess that should be pretty close as to what. Go right in the middle and you'll probably be pretty freaking close. Uh, do, 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 uh, like 67, 64. 64. So much closer. So, so much closer. 70%. Oh, well, I mean. Which is not, that's not a bad score. Considering we're no, talking about late not. 80s horror. Late 80s horror movies. 
70% is a great freaking score. Because this is the era in time that gave us Jason Takes Manhattan. Um, we're getting rather close to a certain curse of Michael Myers. Yeah, freaking Dream Child and Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. You know, this is not a good era for horror movies. You know, we're at that horror is dying off, like slasher movies are dying off. We're still a couple years out from Scream saving the whole freaking genre. So, so yeah, 70%, not a bad score. But again, if anybody who has, again, we don't encourage people to ever turn off an evening at the movies, but if you haven't watched a movie before, I highly recommend you probably go watch the movie before you listen to the episode because we're going to get deep into some stuff and there's going to be spoilers all over the place in this discussion. So you've been warned. So with all of that said, now that we've thrown out the spoiler alert, we've done the background information, I think the only thing left to do would be to turn the microphone over to Mr. Chansey and let him do what he does, and that would be amazingly introduce the plot of this epic. I'm trying to grasp for any kind of metaphor that might help the listeners stay tuned. But the floor is yours, Mr. Chance. Go ahead and well, let me wait. Let me get my arrow close so I can hit the mute when you get ready to go. So I don't laugh my ass off. But the floor is yours. Introduce the plot however you Today on an evening at the movies. We go spelunking into the further regions of experience. In an attempt to satiate our cinephilic salaciousness, Sir Walter Scott once said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Fortunately, this film is rife with deception and depravity. In this desolate abyss, we learn that not all monsters wear leather and lurk in the darkness. Please sit back and try not to stir, or the guardian may just ask you, what is your pleasure, sir? I got chill bumps all over my freaking arms. Oh, quit. It wasn't, it wasn't that good. It was freaking better than I could have done. I probably just would have taken well, like you. a freaking little like blurb on Wikipedia and just pow, 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 knock that shit out onto discussion. Oh, no, there's no sense. Because if you tell the plot of the movie in the introduction, there's no sense in talking about the movie. Because it's one of those things where like you have to talk about the fucked up things that are happening at the time of the plot kind of shit like fucking well yeah because it, it'll make more sense when we get into it because i don't want to just start jumping in like one third of the way through the movie and you're like that's one of those things like um we discussed 
um, Sweeney Todd last week. I had, we'll be releasing two different interviews on the same movie this coming week. And literally like, yeah, I had uh, Thea on for the first part. And then I had Shanna for the second part. And nice. Yeah. Sweeney Todd is one of those movies that there's so much that has to be unfolded and described. And because if you miss any part of that, then what you're talking about is not going to make sense at all by any stretch of the imagination. So makes sense. It's definitely great, great interviews, both of them. So I highly recommend listening to those when they actually, I was off by my time. Those are going to drop a week from this coming Wednesday. But um, so um, I think we kind of sort of discussed this on Literature Reapers. But a little bit, those, yeah. Well, I mean, the whole premise on Literature Reapers. But I think this question, my first question actually got posed on Literature Reapers as well. But for those listeners who don't, Listen to Literature Reapers for one. Shame on you. You should be listening to both shows because both shows are freaking amazing. But um, you did a good job of describing this the last time. So I'm going to pose the same question to you again this time. What exactly is a Cenobite? Well, technically... The technical definition of a Cenobite is basically, I shouldn't even say definition, it's more of a synonym. It's synonymous with a monk or someone in a communal setting. Kind of like uh, how the monsters all serve you know, the, this other power in this movie. They all live in this communal existence within the parallel dimension of the box, which I know I'm jumping ahead on stuff, but in order for it to make sense, it kind of... Not, not by a whole lot, though. It's... Um, it's it, it, I think the reason for calling them Cenobites also kind of gave it that... Uh, it, theocratic hierarchy... So it would make more sense as to, you know, like, because they, I mean, they inevitably end up calling it the Order of the Gash. So, you know. Yeah. Ironic metaphor. I know, right? But I digress. We won't go down that. Well, for those of you who have warped, sick, twisted minds like Chansey, myself, probably Amanda, Shanna, most of the members in the I Did Not Make It Breaking Podcast Network, you're all going to get the freaking ha-ha, wink-wink reference to the Order of Degash. But I'll let you finish your description, and then there's another part to the question I want to ask, too. Oh, no, by all means, go ahead. Because, I mean, that's, uh, that's a really good description of a Cenobite is basically a monk. Which also, there also is a question that is posed by um, one of the Cenobites towards the end of the movie and it kind of sort of references um, 
are Cenobites demons or are they angels? Yes. <laughs> Therein lies the theoretical hypothetical discussion as to what exactly a Cenobite is. Well, technically, I mean, it's the the old saying, I guess, that comes to mind that would best describe why I said yes to that in general is uh, what is chaos to the fly is ordinary to the spider. Really, that another good mysterious way of putting it too. Well, because like there will be some though there will be there would be those with certain sensibilities that would find the experiences that are offered by the Cenobites in the labyrinth, if you will, um, would be demonic and grotesque. And then there are others where that, you know, that'd be right up the fucking alley. Like Frank. Well, kind of. Frank Frank was looking for something, but he wasn't looking for that kind of something. But at some point, he, he, do, he does actually describe, which they didn't do in the book, but they did do in the movie, um, there was a certain point where after after a certain amount of time had passed that the two sensations ran together. Yeah, I could see that. But I also want to go on record again in stating that people have to earn the box. Yeah, they really, I mean, they do. You can't just force your possession of it. Because, I mean, like, jumping, I know know we're jumping forward, but in the second one, the the way the box is opened, like Pinhead and the gang come out, and he's all like, Wait! It is not hands that call us. It is desire. And fucking, because they knew that this other dude fucking took, you know, put this other person up to it. Uh-huh. But when they left him alone, they left the door open and fucking lured him in. So it's kind of like... You have to actively make this. You have to choose it. It you. It's not like gonna be, uh, you know, forced upon you. Yeah, I mean, you can't literally just pick it up. And be like, oh, what is this? And just start playing around with it, bang, all over the place. Right. There is an element of definite free choice Mor- to it. Morality, free choice, yeah. Like Frank's about like I mean, do you see like the movie starts off with Frank in this, you know, undisclosed location, you know, offering ungodly sums of money. Like that that looked like it would have probably been like maybe ten, maybe twenty thousand dollars if that was all stacks of huns, like Yeah. I mean you also have to remember too even make it even more this is like 1986 87 
Right. So that amount of that big fat stack of freaking hundies that he threw on the table for the box, that you know may be considered a lot of money now. That's even more money back then. That's like thirty I, some, three and a half decades ago, almost four. Right. Decades ago. That's what I'm saying. And inflation is a bitch. <laughs> no shit. It's um. But and then I like that the. It's not quite revealed that Frank is a fucking piece of shit until a little bit further down the line. Because I like that whole, because like the whole first series, because you know every all these scary movies they got a first kill in the first bit of the movie. I love the ambiguity of it, where you know he acquires the box, which that's the key to get opening to you know you have to solve the puzzle box to call the Cenobites, and then first you fuck around and then you find out, and then. Yeah, uh, I don't like the way he had to find out, though. Oh, I loved yeah. it. I thought that was I thought that was great. I thought that was great the first time I saw that. It fucking I was like, oh my god. Yeah, you know, chicken skins. Well, Who does unk it? Oh my god! It was it was the it was the eighties. I mean, they were doing practical effects as much as possible. I mean, well, okay, because even then, still, you got to go. Back and look. Okay. Yeah, there wasn't really a top dollar star in this movie. So having a million dollar budget and the amount of practical effects that they used in this movie over the lame CGI of the time. Right. There's a little bit of lame. There is a little bit of lame CGI effects but that was that was all after. That's all after the fact. That's when they got a. They got actually. They got a budget bump. After the fact, because they saw that it was good enough to give more money to, and it just needed a little bit more polished up. So, I mean, still, I mean, the, those CGI effects that they got at the end after that bump, though, could not have cost that much money because they weren't that fucking great. They looked hokey as fuck. I'm just saying. From my... I'm. I see. I don't know. I, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them for. I. Uh, but then again, I also enjoyed it for what it was. But then again, I'm also super biased, super fan. So, well, probably in like the mid '80s, like early '90s. Yeah, I mean, I probably have been like, "Oh, that's cool." Blah blah blah. I'm more coming from the fact that I've had 25, 30 years of what CGI and special effects have become. Which, by that standard, yeah, that just makes it all kinds of freaking dumb and. I suppose so. I don't but, know. There ain't that. There ain't that much that touches John Carpenter's the thing for practical special effects. Even today, though. No, I mean, as far as like practical effects go, I could probably do a top five list. Oh yeah, on that's usually. I think that there's. I think even now there's still only five, and they're all either proteges of the guys that you're getting ready to talk about, or even still some of the guys that that are that are that you're getting ready to talk about. Man, it's that's the best part about it. Well, because 
I mean, you can't necessarily talk practical effects without the huge wink towards the man who literally, and I, I'm a huge fan of the franchise. Your co-host is a huge fan of the franchise. Not everybody is a huge fan of the franchise, but as far as like the original three movies go, like the Star Wars franchise really set the bar for practical effects in the 80s. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to put it out there. But no, I think I think that was the 70s. Well, late 70s, early. No, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. First one was in the 70s, and then two, yep. and three, or yeah, that makes sense. Six, that makes sense. Yeah, two, three, five, six, same thing. Yeah, exactly. But then, yeah, you can't not pay homage to what Carpenter did in Tom Savini. Yeah, Tom Savini. I mean, there's some great practical effects artists out there. And to me, yes, it is a pure art form to be able to do what they did through most most of the 70s into the 80s before CGI really started to sink in and scissor itself and <laughs> take hold on the world. Yeah, when, when Frank opens that box and those hooks just come up out and snatch up in him, like you're like, oh, oh no! Like, because, you know, it's all like this thing. Like, it's it sounds so innocuous. Like, this guy just paid a bunch of money in this seedy third world country wonder what kind of wonder, wonder what what's kind of neat i wonder what's going on here and then all of a sudden just fucking hooks yeah, just yeah. well, and <laughs> literally go from him sitting at the table buying the box to him like opening yep to literally him in a room on a fucking carpet with candles all around figuring out the box and all and then all of a sudden the hooks come up and rips and shreds and pulled pork, <laughs> pulled pork sandwich pulled pork sandwich with a little bit of you know hey if you're bored let's try our new board game jigsaw face <laughs> Oh man, Hellraiser walked so that the Saw franchise could run. Dude, I love the I love that instant transition though, where like shit goes down with Frank, and then all of a sudden, like he's in the chamber room, if you will, with all the chains and all the. And I love how that's the other thing that's like super ambiguous about it is you don't know how long they've been there. No, because really it don't because it literally just goes from shit literally hitting the fucking fan in all directions to, you know, Pinhead just walks over, grabs the fucking box, seals it and then fucking Larry and Julia come walking in the door fucking. But then again, I don't blame him. Rory's a fucking dumbass name. All right. Sorry for anybody that's named Rory out there, but like, come on. 
we're going to get to the um, United Kingdom comes to Chicago here. Yeah, yeah. We can't get too far into this without addressing that topic. But I will say this, though, for my liking, and I would wager a bet that there are people out there who are hardcore horror fans that may not necessarily have seen the Hellraiser franchise. But they are hardcore enough to know that, like, help that Pinhead is like the OG. This franchise is Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger, whatever the case may be. But this is also one of those movies, not entirely like Friday the 13th, part one, but with the exception of that little brief moment at the beginning of the movie. You don't even get anything else from freaking Pinhead, really, until the end of the freaking movie. That's not true. The hospital scene. Okay. Uh, But that also... Not as much, though, as you would say with, like, Freddy Krueger in the original Nightmare on Elm Street or Michael Myers. I, I brought no, I brought that up specifically because of the fact, for the same point that I brought up on literature reapers, about and in my and in, in the introduction itself about the uh, the fact that not all that all, not all monsters wear leather and hide in the dark, like the bad guys in this movie aren't the Cenobites. Why you one last discussion question we had with are they angels or are they demons? Well, yes, they're both, they're literally both. Because, well, I mean, if you want to, like, if you want to go in, it's like if you want to go out into the weeds so so far, demons were technically angels once anyway. Hashtag, if you watch Supernatural, the TV series, that is basically battled back and forth over for the better part of 15 seasons. So, But like, you know, to those who don't have to cross their path, then the Cenobites could easily be viewed as angels or those who are fucking, you know, super masochists and are super into that fucking infinite pain shit, then they would probably be considered angels. But then at the same time, would they also not be considerably angelic for fucking taking out the trash, so to speak? Again, that's a valid question. Because, I mean, like I said, they're... they're... Go ahead. It all boils down to... I was going to say... <laughs> Go ahead, dude. Fucking lags. Um, no, I just—I don't even remember where the hell I was gonna go. You said it all boils down to perspective. It probably, and yeah. I was gonna say it probably just perspective. Yeah. Whatever your personal, as a watcher, the movie, or even somebody in the story. It all boils down to your needs, your perspective as to what exactly your interpretation is of 
who these things are, whether they're demons, angels, however you want to interpret it. That's just, it fits your personal narrative as to what they, these entities are. But uh, the one thing I really wish they would have incorporated from the book to the movie was the connecting point for how Frank came back. And, I mean, they didn't have to go. I, I mean, they would. They, I mean, it would have even if they didn't, because obviously, with it being fucking a movie, and they're trying to get you know anything short of an X rating, they didn't exactly have to have the guy jack off on the fucking floor. But like, they could have illustrated something about how you know they're like like you know how they do in movies where they'll have a scene where something happens, and then like a particular thing occurs. And it indicates something special about this, like a what was it, like like point of reference shot or a focus shot or whatever, force perspective. No, that's a different type thing. Doesn't matter. But the point is, is that when they fuck, like when when the chains first went into fucking Frank before it went all fucking chamber of horrors, it could have had like a blood splatter on the floor, that like. Because, you know, when Pinhead closes the box, it goes, clean room. No fuckery occurred. Like, even the candles and all the other bullshit was gone, except for what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they could have brought that there, because, like, when fucking Larry comes in with his hand cut open, which I love the way that they had to shoot that whole memory scene because the MPAA only allows two thrusts per fucking per fucking <laughs> per fucking thing. So like they're doing the fucking back and backseas for these while she's standing there thinking about getting fucking just plowed out by her fucking brother in law. Fucking and it's all like dude dude switch something else quick fucking editors <laughs> goddamn <laughs> Because God forbid you let it run a little bit too long before the cut and you move over to the flashback. Yeah, right. God forbid they get three, get the get that third thrust in there. That means something. But uh, uh it's just not gonna lie. Fuck, fuck the Motion Picture Association of America. Yeah, fucking, fucking, whatever. It's stupid, but it is what it is. But like, yeah, when Larry comes in after he cuts his hand. It doesn't make any sense. Because, like, all of a sudden, the fucking, you know, the rebirth scene begins after the blood gets sucked down in through the fucking floorboards and the nails and shit. And then, I mean, like, they've... They fixed the problem by making it a just blatantly obvious to a certain degree. But, like... I just, you know, for me, like, I love that whole scene, especially how they shot it with it being in a wax under a hot light and shot in reverse. Like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. And There's plenty of practical ways that you can do shit like that. For sure. Make it look amazing. And then, like, the one of the things I like is that they do the pacing the way that they do. Mm-hmm. They'll fucking basically drop the bottom out, and it's like you're in free fall, and then they're like, oh, slow down a little bit. 
Because, like, you know, the beginning part, shit goes down. You're free-falling. And then you get the small exposition for, for Larry and fucking Julia and the, and the movery bullshit. And then the fucking rebirth scene, fucking free fall, and then slow down a little bit because we got the party. And yeah, and basically about from the party, horse, it, all the horse, about all the time the horse shit starts picking up. Yeah, I was gonna say about the time of the party is basically when you get no, there's no more respite, like you get no rest for, for this movie. Like from that point on, it is just all on like Donkey Kong. And yeah. I do have to say this though, like the one thing that bothers me the most about all this is like how like how 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 could this person have possibly been so good in bed that they're literally worth Merkin like fucking four fucking people over. Three technically. Four if you want to include Larry, but like for real though. I mean I I, I mean I've, I've had a good I've had a lot of good times in this, back in the day, but I can't ever be like, you know, I I fucking you know, if I had the opportunity to just do fucking distributor, like no, nah, I've never once thought that. And I've been accused of some fucked up thoughts. Oh, no, yeah, I fully get that. But, yeah, no, I, yeah. <laughs> See, now I got you thinking about it. You're like, you're like, how does, how, do, how does this make sense? This is fucking absolute insanity. I would have lost my whole ass mind and kicked it in its head and like a football and fucking hoped I separated it from its shoulders because it would have fucking scared the shit out of me because it's just got no goddamn skin. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. At the end of the day, no, no. fuck that shit. I'm not trying to get myself in that kind of a sticky situation at all. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> a sticky situation. It's definitely a very sticky situation. But like, and then she starts, you know bringing these poor suckers home from the bar, which I loved how they were able to kind of one for one that first kill from the book to the movie. They did a really good job with that. Claire Higgins is fucking chef's kiss when it came to her playing that character, especially I know I'll keep talking about it, but this is like it, it, it when she like in her return in the second one, spoiler alert, but like, dude, that whole that whole character arc is just fucking for a non-essential. Like I shouldn't say non-essential for a supporting character. That's fucking epic. Like, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily go full on. She's essential, but definitely hugely supportive. But like, uh, in many ways. I thought I also thought that it was weird that they made fucking Kirsty Larry's daughter. Like I thought that everything made really good sense in the book, the way that it was written. 
like for them to all be friends and for her to be longing from afar. Like it would have added such a, a much more sympathetic dynamic. Like you'd have been much more invested in the characters. I think if that would have taken place, I just thought it was weird as fucking all get out that fucking this shit happens. And, uh, it's like fucking, Especially at the very end, which I mean, like, I don't know how, like, okay, well, actually, we'll skip that because, like, we'll talk about, because we got to talk about the hospital scene, because the hospital scene for me is the literal, it's the most important and quintessential fucking scene in horror history up to that point. It, sorry, I got really excited. <laughs> Almost to the point of full on meltdown. Hi, female Casey. Hi. She says, he says, hi, female Casey. I heard him. Oh. I said, hi, Casey. And then he said, hi, female Casey. <laughs> Bye. The Casey's <laughs> unite. Cha-cha. Cha. Well, of course. He's awesome. But, uh. Oh, okay. I thought she was talking to me for a second. She's like, oh, she's talking to the cat. She's like, I swear to God, I'm going to kill all of you. And, and I'm like, wait, what? What? Hold on. Hold on. Let, let me let me take no, the phone and run, Jeffy. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he cuts it out or not, because it's clearly established you're talking about cats. Oh no. I was going to go live. I decided because of the subject matter, I'm not going to Facebook jail for this fucking movie. So we will be pre recording yes. not going to Facebook jail. Aha. <laughs> Aha. But for real, though, for me, the reason that's true for me, the reason that the hospital scene is the most fucking important scene in horror history. Like up to that point is specifically because of the fact that for the first time in in horror film history, the baddies, the scary monsters are Bathed in fucking white fluorescent light. Like, fucking bright ass light. Because you and don't that, get that in Halloween. You don't get that in Nightmare on Elm Street. You don't get none that of them. in Friday the 13th. None of Any them. Any of the other Not, B horror movies from the 80s? No. Light or is, even 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 back in the fucking you know the dawn of horror, the silhouette of Nosferatu going up the stairs. Fucking, it's all from the shadows in the darkness. Yeah, no, exactly. Darkness is the metaphorical and literal bad guy in all horror movies, up until September tenth, nineteen eighty seven, when Hellraiser came out. Yes. But yeah, like decided to take a different opposite entity, and we're gonna take that out and put this back in, and we're gonna fuck with people's heads over it. But I also think that there was a like a double meaning for it. I think that that well, I think it goes to what I was previously talking about just a little bit ago. The Cenobites aren't the bad guys. They sort of evolve more into the 
prevalent bad guys later into the franchise. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they had to do something to keep it going because they saw all the money that came in, and they're like, "Fuck, we got to do another one of these." Well, I mean, what eleven movies later, ten movies later, whatever the final total was up to a year ago when that uh the Hulu movie came out or whatever service it was on. Okay, so Hell World. Eight. Uh, yeah, I think it's like ten. I think it might be ten altogether. No, There's sorry, a- it's it, you're right. It's eleven because uh, the fucking I forgot about those two ones that they did without Doug Bradley. Yeah, because they just had the one that came out what like last year, a year ago. Yeah, it was like 2022. Fucking love that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, I'm not going to last till I haven't seen it yet. But it's on my... As we discussed earlier, though, I haven't seen the entire franchise. I've seen through the first three. I plan on watching the rest of them. It gets to be one of those things, though, where I fear, like with Children of the Corn, because I love the first movie and then afterwards it significantly goes oh i know if i want i don't know if i want, want hellraiser ruined for me because it just kept going and going and going and going it's like the energizer bunny it keeps going and going and going you know honestly i've i was going to pitch that on a side note after the show that cuz like you know since we're already doing TCM we should probably just do like the franchises like the franchises and then i was i mentioned something before previously but like when we get through with all the franchises and hit the reboots do its own separate thing called back to the reboots or something shit like that fucking like some stupid name i don't know i really love that idea we've got time to sit and figure out the logistics of all of that but definitely that is something that we need to consider because I mean, you know, because obviously, uh, go ahead. There's no reason why we can't finish the rest of the franchise. Well, like we're going to finish the rest of TCM, even if that means I have to sit through the rest of freaking McConaughey and Renee Zellweger. Well, technically, I technically on the TCM side though, that's the last one before you're back to the reboots. So, technically, that's your respite for that. True. But then, you know, this is what after we get through Next Generation, though, that's when the Halloween aspect of TCM comes in because you got the two reboot. Well, you've got the reboot, then you've got the prequel, then you've got all these different storyline, whatever, and then you got to try and piece it together. And yeah, that's why I consider that whole section the reboot section because they yeah. were trying to basically reboot, reinvigorate, recharge and fucking reinvest that goddamn money back in their pockets. But uh and not No. Uh, we'll get we'll go we'll go down that rabbit hole when we get to reboot the reboot or reboot the boot or whatever we decide we want to call it, but Oh, there's a guy out there, the the maniacal cinephile, throw him a shout out cuz he's fucking uber badass. He does a thing called boots to reboots, and if it sucks, he stomps on it with a big ass boot. It's great. 
But like, you know, back to the reboots, like back to the future from future tense shit. I don't know. It was stupid. I, I was, it was the, probably the first thing I thought of it's, there's gotta be something that's already out like that already. <laughs> way, though, still, we take an idea, put a little bit of a twist on it and make it our own. So it's not like brackets being done. Hasn't been done by everybody before. You just have also, to yeah, that's valid. Your right thing and come up with the concept like chaos brackets, like, the girls and I did for the ones we do on an evening at the movies. Word. Although I do want to go, before we go any further, I do want to say that Stephen King himself actually gave such props to this movie that part of the promotional trailer for it is, is literally that movie guy voice going, I have seen the future of horror and his name is Clive Barker, Stephen King. And it throws up the great bell. It goes, bang, fucking, ah. I mean, there, at that point in time, there really was no other bigger. I mean, I'm not trying to take a cheap shot at John Carpenter, Wes Craven, or any of those kind of guys, because they are gods of horror cinema. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At the same time, even as bad as some of King's movies were in the 80s, still, people flock to the movie theater to see his movies. People flock to bookstores to buy every new book that he ever published. Even the ones that he didn't remember writing. Well, yeah, because this is all... The pre-Hellraiser years were the alcohol and cocaine years, so... <laughs> you know, it is what it is but I mean even today you get some people that start to question the validity of the, some of the things that he says like that but those people that know they truly know and when it comes to judging anything horror if Stephen King gives you his stamp of approval that means right. you're pretty goddamn sure. You know, if I wrote a damn book and Stephen King reviewed it and said the next great thing in horror literature, I'd right. die, die a happy man. Fucking fact-based fucking testimonials right there. And I would probably cry like a little girl, too. Just saying. No offense to but, little girl. No offense to female gender at all, either. But yeah, to get the stamp of approval of somebody like Stephen King, wow. So, um, I mean, I have that question that we could go toward, but I mean, we've kind of sort of really gotten into it already. Well, what is it? Maybe there's something that it's in the question that didn't get discussed. So what exactly do you think it is about this movie that makes the movie so controversial? Oh, because of the time. Literally only because of when it came out. Because bondage, BDSM, all that, you know, leather and, you know, sadomasochistic fucking, ooh, ah, ah, was real, real back alley at the point, at that point in time. I love the fact that you threw in a ooh, ah, ah. It's like, 
What are you, freaking Julia and freaking Larry? Ooh, <laughs> uh, <I don't> uh. <laughs> but I mean, for yeah. real though, it, it was so taboo that like, and, and then that, I mean, you, you take that and, and also throw into the fact that like, I really think that at the time, a lot of people didn't pick up on what I'm talking about, about the, you know, Cenobites not being the bad guys. So there's just like, yeah. they see this group of people who essentially just want to do nothing more than torture people, but they don't stop and think about the fact that these people fucking had it coming. Even Kirsty. Well, and we, I know this is definitely something we talked about during the, literature reaper episode too because there really is an element of like the stuff that john doe does in the movie seven where you know all of these people that he kills in seven off of the hellraiser for a second but like the glutton the sloth, you know, the all of the different kills that John Doe does in that movie. Technically, these are all people that are guilty of one of the seven deadly sins. Except for two. Not, There's two people that John Doe killed that that were innocent. Um, what's in what's in the box? What's in the box? And what was in the box of of what was in the box? The dents. <laughs> oh my god! I did not even think about putting it that way. That is. Oh, the next time we bring this up on the network, and Dre does his "What's in the box?" I'll be like, "Ah, but what's in the box of what's in the box?" What was in the box of what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is such a sick and twisted way of putting that. Oh, wow. We're not going down that road because I still, we need to do seven on the show. Oh, for sure. I, dude, I fucking, even if I'm not able to be in on the whole episode, I just want to have a recorded discussion about lust. That dude, that fucking dude should have won a fucking Oscar. Yeah, they sh- they should have fucking created a whole ass fucking category for that motherfucker to give him an Oscar. Yeah, well, and this is gonna this yeah this this will be an episode that we definitely have to have Chancey on. We definitely will have to have both of the girls on as well because I can guarantee you, both of them and their sick twisted minds are gonna get enjoyment out of that discussion. For sure. And- and at the end of the day, we'll probably have to bring Dre in at least for, if not the whole episode, which definitely Dre would be welcome for the whole episode. But you have to get Dre's impression on the what's in the box. Because he <laughs> does it so freaking well. That's funny. That's good. That's good. But then, you know, uh, since we're already talking about the hospital scene, well, what I thought was pretty kind of stupid was the whole they lock her in the room like that like that i I, when i first saw that i was like that's a fire hazard 
that that I was so young though. I was literally so young. The first thing that went through my head when they did that I was like, "That's a fire hazard." <laughs> well, and it, it, it's literally a legitimate hospital. It's not like she's in a Nightmare on Elm Street three psych ward, right? She's in a legitimate hospital, but here. Have this, and they set the box on the table in front of her, and then they walk out and lock her in the freaking room. Right? Listen here, you mocha latte doctor. <laughs> mocha latte doctor? Exactly. So, yeah, that definitely felt a little bit wonky, for lack uh, of a better term. Speaking of wonky, I do got to go out on a limb and say it. Some of the fucking dubbing, some of the voice dubbing was wonky as fuck. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like literally the whole thing was basically shot in fucking England. And they're like, you know what? We'll give you more money. But this has to take place in America. It's like, um, what? Well, because Julie and I've never, I've never, yeah, their British accents. But well, Larry, Larry's American, because uh, but Frank, Frank's got a fucking well, half-ass accents all. There's accents all over the place. this freaking movie. Skinless, skinless Frank had an accent, but fucking skin Frank didn't. (laughs) <laughs> oh dude yeah. fucking the dipshit the, the, the dipshit boyfriend and the doctor neither had an accent but they're fixing to get on the uh, fucking underground of uh, the tube if they is if you will in England like fucking uh, what She's walking down the street with an overhead fucking trailer. No, it was a steel yard. It was a steel yard, yeah. Like, fucking... I'm not going to lie either. When they get to the end of the movie and the boyfriend, they come out of the house and it's raining and the boyfriend takes his coat off and puts it on her. That freaking shirt that he had on, oh my god, could there be anything that was more 80s than that? Freaking... Right, right. All the different... Bright colored rectangles all over. Oh my god! It's That's like a fact. The eighties puked all over his shirt. <laughs> Factual. I don't love. The, I love the eighties and everything about the eighties, but that shirt was like the eighties. Literally took a big fat puke right on the front of his shirt and be like, "Ha! Ah, now wear this out to the world for the world to see." You know. Uh, so there's a couple things. So like before we start getting to the the final downhill spiral of the insanity of the movie. Uh, so spoiler alert: fucking Frank kills his brother Larry and puts on his skin. What? What? Okay, okay. I don't care. Y'all can say or think what you want about me. But am I literally the only one that was like, what happens if Frank's dick was bigger than Larry's? <laughs> Leave it to you. You and Shanna would be the two well, people that would come up with that freaking question I mean, to pose. You know, 
Or or what if it went in the opposite way? Like, what if he had so much extra just hung off on the end? Like, how, like, how are you supposed to fix that? You, you're going to hem it up like a pant leg? <laughs> oh my god it's, it's, a, it's a meat puppet condom oh shit no it's, a, it's oh okay I tied, I, I tied off the end it's fine <laughs> oh my god <laughs> just, just put a little twistic thing on the end it'll stop a little bread tie, just a little bread. Just put a bread tie on there; it'll be fine. <laughs> oh my god! Freaking leave with the goddamn chance to freaking grind to come up with this shit. So here's a great pivot point. So we were talking about that, and then we get to talk about this. Since they did the writing change, and everybody's fucking related, pretty much. The whole Frank trying to fuck his niece thing, fucking creepy. Super weird, super fucking creepy. And then he's wearing her dad's skin. So then it's like her dad's trying to fuck her. <laughs> so it's like your father slash uncle wearing your father's skin wants to kill you and fuck you. Not necessarily in that order. Fucking. <laughs> I don't even think I even want to lie and figure out the order for that because that is some weird interdimensional incestual bullshit. But when I said earlier that even Kirsty ended up deserving to be a victim of the order of the gash is twofold. One, she stole the box. Shame, shame, shame. She should have left well enough alone. The second, absolutely. The second was when actually you had even messaged me about this when he's all we want the man who did this and she's all like no he's my father you can't have him ignorance to the law does not save you from punishment of the law and his deal was they wanted that shit and they wanted frank and if they and he even said if you you know try to do whatever, the old infamous will tear your soul apart. Shit, and she fucking uh, yeah, she she fucked around and fucked up. She breached her end of the contract without even knowing it. She fucked. She fucked around. And she found out. But you know, final. Oh she God. was the final. Although I do, I do got to say this does actually defeat the final girl trope because you know, the fucking that night she had that bad dream where fucking her dad was all covered in blood with that creepy screaming baby. You know, they got down like way downtown, downtown Julie Brown from fucking 1980s fucking MTV VMAs and that shit. <laughs> oh my God. Freaking Millie Vanilli flashback. He got her ply. He got her. He got. He got her plied up with liquor, and see what he could get away with. Although they were, and I love the fact that they fucking are making out on the in the on the on the subway entrance, and then she has the bad dream, and they wake up in her apartment with two single beds. What the fuck? 
Yeah, shout out to freaking I Love Lucy and the fact that they slept in separate beds and all those other black and white TV comedies where everybody slept in separate beds but yet had eight freaking kids running around. Um, right. Because evidently it hops from bed to bed and then into the tunnel of love. <laughs> I mean, that's a good that's actually not a bad one right there that's a good one i uh i i did like how they didn't just you know nowadays if you look back on it it's it, it's a bit hokey like how they do the monster reveals at the end you know I love the pinhead fucking on the fucking plank board bit where they fucking raise him up and he's all, we have such sights to show you. Like, fucking, oh, bro, get out of there. Like, I'm not even from New York. And it's like, get the fuck out of there. Where you going? Nowhere. Get the fuck on. But for real though, like yeah, that fucking shit is so awesome, and and then the the fucking chick centibite with her weird like throat vagina looking thing she had going on. I didn't know whether or not Every to run damn- away from it or fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> you would, literally, you would. I mean, I would ask first, but you know, you gotta just you got like your name says, you gotta get the, just the tip in there just to see what it feels like, you know. <laughs> it brings a whole new meaning to yeah. the term throat knit. All right, I'm that just just what I'm saying. It's a whole new meaning to the term throat knit. Well, throat knit, deep throat, Harvard. The deepest like throat, throat, the deepest of the throats. <laughs> That thing's like all the way down here. Fucking bad. But that like whole not leaving us so soon. Yeah. You know, you know that chick Cenobite was into some creepy shit though. (laughs) (laughs) Every damn one of those Cenobites has every one of those things had its own creepiness to it. I don't even, even freaking pinhead with the thousand different freaking pins all over his freaking face. Yeah. That. And that, I mean, that goes back to the whole idea of like, you see like the, not musicians, magicians who do like the flying thing with like the hooks and shit that go into like your back or your chest and all of that. And yeah. Oh, as the rubber band that runs down. Yeah, the yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, though. Like people, like I Chris do. Angel and all of them have done mm-hmm. that shit. That it's very unsettling to me. So, like the whole like pinhead with the thousand pins of death all over his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. And then the the chat the chatterer just like they're all insanely freaking creepy. So it's no wonder why people would immediately go to the fact that, you know, they're the bad guys. But like you said, though, they're not the bad guys. Uh-huh. They're just the instrument. Uh-huh. They're just the instrument of bad choices. 
they facilitate yep, your bad choices. The instrument of punishment. But like, ah, uh, uh, see, see, demons to some, angels uh -huh. to others. Uh -huh. Now, uh, the thing that, uh, like, you know, there was a couple things. There was one thing that we missed that was in the movie, but not in the book. And that's the bum, the keeper of the box. Uh, I did like at the end how he goes and just walks into the fire and then just saves the box from being destroyed and then flies away. I mean, the, the effects suck. Okay. I'm not, I'm not pinning my hat on that one, but the premise of the idea behind it, I really, really thought that that took it kind of like, a it, it made for good sequel bait. It also, uh, it also gave it like this uh, the cyclical sense of it all because it goes straight from that back into the box almost in an immediate repeat of the of the opening scene. I well, I think where you're going kind of sort of along the same lines as far as like the sequelization goes. There really wasn't that open of an ending without having the bum and the him walking through the fire to save the box and you're right. Off. So definitely mad props to Barker for adding that aspect to the movie. Because without it we wouldn't have gotten the hundred and fifty sequels that we got afterwards. Most of them I don't even think he wanted. <laughs> Because I don't think he, I think after like the original, I think he basically Wes Craven didn't disappeared from the franchise I, up until one of I the think last he I think he, movies. I think I think he. Was, I was gonna say I think he produced the second one as well. Not a hundred percent on that, but yeah. And then it was also he got involved in the most recent one as well. But yeah, okay. Even if he did the second one though. There is a portion at some point in this franchise where he disappears like, uh-uh. Oh. My name is... Oh, not dude. No this Number three, solid. You can clearly tell by all... All elements of... Between cinematography, story, all of it, you can quickly tell that the, he is just like, you know what, I don't want no more of this. Yeah. Which, to so me, I mean, it, I... I go ahead. He, he, well, I was just going to say, he comes back at the end to bring it all full circle and wrap it up in a nice, big, fat pink bow. Yeah, but they still gave the opportunity for them to make more, which is cool, too. But, like, when we get further down the sometimes line, like, I'm stupid. Day, I was just going to say, sometimes at the end of the day, though, Okay, I'm just gonna rip the freaking band-aid right off and say Blumhouse needs to not walk through the door just because the door is open. Like they did with another certain franchise, not naming any names. Halloween. Right. I said I yeah. said what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Open doors do not always need to be walked through. 
Yeah, yeah. Just because you can can do something doesn't mean you should. I suppose that's a valid point. I uh, I've watched all of these movies a lot of different times, and there are times where I've had to learn how to appreciate them as a separate entity, almost as if it wasn't even a Hellraiser movie to begin with. But there's still interesting elements about all of the movies that are like, you know, wow, if they would have fleshed that out a little bit better and maybe not just did it on this based on this, that, and the other. Because there's one of the movies in the series that wasn't even, like, it was completely written separately to be something else entirely. But they were running out of time on making something to maintain the rights with Miramax, I think it was. And fucking... what oh yeah no they fucking they just literally roll like oh oh, yeah we're just gonna take this movie and then fucking put a couple shots of pinhead in there and fucking hellraiser blank blank because i'm not gonna give that one away until we do it but like (laughs) for real though for real though it's like and even that it's still a good fucking movie like if you were not if 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 they would have taken pinhead out of that fucking movie it'd have been a good fucking movie too but that's neither here nor there. The first, this, go ahead. This is where I come with my opinion on a certain third movie in a franchise named Season of the Witch, where I don't have a problem with the idea of the plot of said movie. I just my issue with it, and I've told Amanda this numerous times, is to me it's not a Halloween movie. Leave the Halloween I'm with tree off, off of it and just present it as Season of the Witch. And I probably stomach it a hell of a lot better than I do trying to stomach the fact that it's the third Halloween movie. And Michael Myers like said, is in it for like fucking 20 seconds. That's why I came, chimed in with my snide comment when you were talking about the whole pinheads in it for like seven seconds. I'm like, Season of the Witch. Because oh well, no, it's I, it it was a little bit more than seven seconds, but like they they basically could have just not had him in the movie at all, and it would have been a great, just a great solo movie. Yeah, take Michael Myers out, change freaking Halloween three, and Season of the Witch is a great freaking movie, in my opinion. I mean, no, I, I agree. Right. I agree with you. I agree with you entirely. Season of the Witch would have been great if it would have been pitched as a fucking Halloween movie. Just like um, Halloween. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole because if we go down this rabbit hole, we're going to be here all night. And technically, we've got another recording to do in a half an hour. So, um, no, it's. Oh yeah, it is about it is at a half hour. Same time. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily want to speed the conversation up, but um, we might go ahead and jump ahead to our reviews and ratings. So yeah, yeah, we've. I mean, we've covered the whole movies. Yeah, we can totally get straight to that. That's totally kosh. So. As the guest of all guests, would you like to let the listeners know what, I mean, obviously, 
you've talked about your wealth of love for the franchise throughout the whole episode. So we know you're going to give a positive review, but you know, anything else that you would like to chime in there before you let us know what your rating is? Um, no, I mean, honestly, do you, I, I think I've pretty much said just about all I could say about it. I, I mean, I already illustrated it, but I'd illustrate it again. I wish, I wish it was closer to the book, which obviously is, is it. Having said that, though, with the minor changes that they did make, it, it 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 is a very close representation to the book. Like, out of most things I've seen that go from book to movie, even with the changes that they made. I would say that's probably one of the closest representations from from you know book to film I've actually seen. It may not necessarily go word for word from page to the screen, but what right. it does is it takes the premise of everything that's talked about and addressed in the book and it takes and moves that into pretty faithful adaptation on the screen. It may not yep. necessarily be beat by beat the exact same right. thing, but it takes the heart of what the book is about, puts that on the screen, and even takes literally some of the actual plot points from the book and uses those as well to help succinctly convey its point on screen. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. So at the same time, it may not necessarily be everybody's cup of tea because it does, for lack of a better term, go hard <laughs> in ways that <laughs> not everybody's going to get on board for that level of hardness, but... Oh, it's got, it's got chutzpah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's definitely creepy. It's aggressive when it needs to be aggressive. It's in your face. It's everything that a great horror movie needs to be without being, you know, blatantly jigsaw torture porn-ish. Yeah, because there were even some of those B movies that were going. Yeah, there were. I mean, there were some B movies that were that were actually going to that that place already at that point. When Hellraiser came out. Yeah, and we're still at this point, what, 14, 15 years away from Saw 1? Whenever that movie, I don't even remember when that came out, but. Uh, movies yeah, like that, at least Hellraiser. that fucking oh, yeah, yeah. So movies like Hellraiser walk so that movies like Saw could run. Saw, Hostel, most of the stuff, most of that aggressive hardcore torture porn stuff that mm-hmm. the genre is famous for nowadays. You can thank yep. Hellraiser for because it's movies like Hellraiser that push the envelope a lot in an era when yeah, we pushed the envelope a little bit, but not necessarily as hard as Clive Barker pushed 
the envelope with the Hellbound Heart and the Hellraiser. Right. So definitely hats off for that. So if you were to give the movie a rating out of five, do I um, guess what I it just, would be? Well, I'm not going to go solid five because, I mean, nothing's truly perfect. But if I had to say I'd go 4.99 repeating. So as close to perfect as you can get without going perfect. If they would, yeah, if they would have went one for one with the book, fucking A, dude. Fucking A. You, you, this would have only been an audio ver- version of a recording because I would have been just steady fapping the fuck out of the book. I'd have been fanboying the shit out of it. Oh my god, this book is fucking this movie is so goddamn good. Dude, if it would have went one for one. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going down to a mountain. I was I was starting to go down into a rabbit hole of a meltdown. No, seriously though, if they had a one for one to book the screen, like, well, first it'd be a, an instant cult classic because literally nobody could have fucking found it at the time it came out. But damn it, it's good. Yeah, I don't think sorry. the Motion Picture Association of America would have let that happen. No. They, At least with an R they, rating, they would not have let that They even made them take out a scene in the old memory, memory Lane skit where he slapped her on the booty and they, they made him take it out. Swear to God. It's on the fucking... Uh, it's on the commentary. Damn. So... I think I will go. I'm not going to go as high as Chancy, but I think definitely if you love horror movies and love great 80s horror, this is a great freaking movie and I highly recommend it. So I'm going to go ahead and go four out of five, which is still a solid rating. Yeah, yeah, it's super solid. So, um,. With the fact that literally we have like 20 minutes to go, um, yeah, definitely want yeah. to thank the listeners for being here each and every week. You guys are incredibly amazing. We love and yeah. appreciate you all. And we definitely hope you come back for the rest of Halloween Horror Fest. We've got uh, Sweeney Todd coming up, the, both of those interviews, as well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer and five nights at Freddy's and then we've got some stuff coming up in November and December that we will definitely be letting the listeners know about. We're not hundred percent ready to release all that information yet, but know that we've got some big stuff planned coming up to end the year. Uh, He's a cooking up a something. You guys have any, you want to let the listeners know about, uh, M cubed again before we get out the door. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. It's uh, like I said, maniacal music musings, or as Casey loves to call it, it's like maniacal musical musicifications. It's uh, you know, you can right. find it on Spotify, YouTube, um, on the uh, unapologetic, untamed, and uncensored uh, Facebook group. 
I probably got those in the wrong order, but all three of those words are actually there. So if you look it up, you're going to fucking find it. If the first you don't work, try the second. And if the second don't work, you're going to get the third. So either way, you M, M cubed is on U cubed. Yeah. Somewhere out in the universe. And yeah, and on Facebook, yep. But if you go to if you go to YouTube, it's maniacal music musings. Um we we get all we get a lot of uploads there. We basically transfer everything because we usually shoot it live, but every when we're done, we'll get it everything edited up proper with the samples and the whatnot we can get away with and then move it over to YouTube and Spotify and all the good podsies and all the good places that you get the stuffs. If you want to try and find me, my first name is Chansey. It says so. Right, Cha. If you can find me on Facebook, good fucking luck. Uh, you know, uh, inst- Instagram know and TikTok is... You, the- <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> Shit. Now we're giving all the secrets away. Uh, uh-huh. Instagram... Basically, <laughs> my, my, my friends list is private, so you can't just pull up my page and just... You actually have to be a friend to get access to that information. Nice. So you're not just going to be able to stalk, stalk the hell out of Chancey for no good reason. Ah, nicely played, sir. Uh, Instagram and TikTok, it not is. Uh, the, the, red- <laughs> <laughs> the, the Red Eye Roundtable. And uh, on X, it is Red Eye Pod. I don't. I still. I have problems calling it X because that's just weird. I know, I right? Twitter. I know. It's I'm it's the tw- it's the Twitter. Like I'm with you. So as as always, you guys know. An evening at the movies drops every Wednesday morning. Sometimes uh, there's bonus days throughout the week when we've got extra stuff to go. But there may be one of those this week. There may be one of those next week or whenever the case may be. You're just going to have to tune in and find out or find us on social media because that's where you got to go to stay updated on what we've got coming up because otherwise I just go down the rabbit hole of listing everything that I've got planned and we'll be here all freaking night and I don't want to be here all night. I love recording. I don't love recording that much. So, <laughs> with all that said, thank you to Chance the Rapper for being here with us again. Another amazing episode. Always a pleasure. Forward to some more, some more greatness coming up in the very near future. But I mean, we're gonna have to get this next generation marked off the damn calendar because I'm halfway into this movie and I need to cleanse my palate of all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have feelings, but I'm not comfortable sharing those feelings yet until we are in the friendly confines of that episode. So <laughs> definitely maybe my Christmas present to everybody will be we'll do this episode before the holiday season and you'll get it maybe as the last episode before Christmas. There's an idea. My present to you. How much I love or hate Matthew McConaughey as part of the Sawyer family. They're not a part of the Sawyer family. I'm I'm not spoiling the plot twist in that movie just yet. 
you have to tune in for the episode. Yeah. So, I'm rambling again. Not meaning to ramble. So, but definitely thank you guys. Thank you, Chancy, for being here. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, we hope you guys come back for. I am not comfortable doing this because it's Amanda's job, but we hope you guys come back for an evening at the movies. Have a good week, guys.